0: My body is a roadmap of pain.
1: All right. Deathmatchworldwide.com. The official online merchandise store that is only for Deathmatch Wrestling. Featuring official t shirts from No Peace Underground, John Wayne Murdoch, Akira, Madman Pondo, Zona23, Neil Diamond Cutter, G Raver, Schlack, Necro Butcher, and many more.
0: Welcome everyone to Faces and Feels. I'm your host, Rafe Houston, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. Welcome, the Reverend
2: Dan Wilson.
0: How are you today, sir?
2: I am fan fucking tastic, Rev. Thank you very, very much for having me.
0: <laughs> hey, thank you for your time, man. Uh, I am very excited to do this one. Uh, I feel like your storied history uh, stretches back so far, and there's so much to cover in. All of the, I guess, adventures that you've had in the world of pro wrestling.
2: Yeah, it's been a long ride uh, with some stops and starts here and there. But uh, going back really to 1999, full time is when I got in the business. Actually, in a couple of shows prior to that, but like I wasn't let into the business. If that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. The first show oh, I ever did. I was, like, 16, 17 years old, and there was this, like, local outlaw promotion. I'm from Tennessee, which is, like, in the southeastern uh-huh. part of the United States. Uh-huh. And uh, so there was this, like, local outlaw show running in a nursing home parking lot for, like, like a convalescent care center. Okay. And um, they ring it out and show up. So I just asked if I could be the ring announcer because I was there, and they said, sure. So that was really my first Production into any sort of work in wrestling, but a couple of years later, I I did some ring announcing where I actually got like a full time spot somewhere, and you know they kind of let me into the business. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and been doing it on and off since then. Wow.
0: <laughs> how funny to just like sort of be like i'll do it like when you go to a show so i guess before we get to that point let, let's rewind a little bit further and talk about how you were first exposed to professional wrestling so you, you grew up uh down there what was some of like the first faces that you were seeing on tv or shows that you were taken to that that made you start to fall in love with professional wrestling
2: Oh, I, I could talk a lot about this time period, honestly. Like, very first introduction to the business, before I even really knew what it was, is I knew that I, I had an extended family member that was a wrestler. Um, There was a, a great uncle in my family that, you know, I'd usually as a kid would only see him at family gatherings, so maybe once or twice a year. But he was like a legend in the family. Like, there's a, the story of the, the time he brought Andre the Giant to my grandma's house. It's like, so it was Gypsy Joe, was my great uncle. Oh, okay, uh, okay. like, a lesbian, yeah, a yeah. hardcore wrestler, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't really know him very well as a kid. Like, I got to know him a lot better as I got older and got interested in wrestling. But so that was really my first introduction. like, I knew I had an uncle that was a wrestler. So I would see pictures, and it really piqued my curiosity. Because I was like, what is this world where these dudes are bloody? <laughs> and, like, yeah. walking around with all these muscles in their underwear. Uh, so the first wrestling I really got to watch on the regular probably would have been like WWF stuff and Crockett stuff, you know, in, in the, uh, the mid eighties. I was born in 1980s. I'm uh-huh. 40 now. Um, and uh, so, you know, I got to see all of like the Hogan era in its early forms and Ric Flair and Sting and all those great feuds. Like that was the wrestling I grew up on. And I fell in love with that shit. Hardcore, probably around I, you know, six, seven years old, like eight, nine, and ten. I was full fucking bore into it. Uh, first live wrestling event I went to was a WWF Superstars taping uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I'm from. The main event was uh, Hulk Hogan and Earthquake. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and the first like big pay per view event I went to was the Halloween Havoc '91 in Chattanooga oh. that had the Chamber of Match where they stick Abdullah the Butcher in the electric chair, and man, that was just speaking my language. I was already a kid that loved heavy metal and horror movies, so that weird shit was all for me.
0: That is amazing. Imagine being there. That's like wild to me to hear about that. And like you say, like how old are you then when you're you're like seeing Abby get put in a chair? It
2: would have been like nine. Wow. Okay. Just about to turn.
0: Oh, okay. Well, it uh, clearly made an impact on you. <laughs>
2: it forged your yeah. entire life. <laughs> Very much so.
0: Oh, that's awesome, man. So, uh I guess then you're right into wrestling. You try to catch anything you can, and and that opportunity comes up to jump in the ring. You said that later on down the track you would, you know get employed or whatever to do like a full-time sort of announcing thing did that come because somebody had seen you just jump in at that nursing home scenario or did you meet some other people down the road
2: it was almost a similar situation but my balls weren't quite as big in this one because it was a little bit more like professionally ran situation so it was a friend of mine uh-huh. was their announcer i guess wasn't that great And a friend of mine came to the show. That friend ended up becoming pro wrestler Ace Rockwell of NWA Wildside fame. But uh, he came to the show with me, and he's like heckling the announcer, like, oh, my buddy can do it better than you. And so the dude gets fucking mad and hands me the microphone and an ad to read, and he goes, oh, yeah, we'll fucking do it. And so I did. I got a standing ovation from the crowd, and they asked me to come back and be the full-time ring.
0: Oh, the the cost of the dude his job. (laughs) Mm. He fucked up. He should have just (laughs) ignored it.
2: It wasn't the first time that happened. Um, that, That happened again when I got hired at NWA Wildside. The guy that was there got replaced when they hired me, and he was fucking not happy. He tried to run me over in the parking lot. What? Uh, If it wasn't for Air Paris, we might not be having this conversation. (laughs) He tried to run you over. Yeah, he was he was mad when he showed up and found out that I had been given his spot, and yeah. so uh, he—I mean, I would say he like actually tried to run. I'm exaggerating a bit. Uh, yeah. Wrestlers do that. Well, let's let's not out.
0: get let the truth get in the way of a but, good story here, Dad. Let's just go ahead and tell it, how it but, but,
2: out. But you know, he like recklessly rips it out of the parking lot, very close to where I'm standing. So Paris did have to be like, Dad, get out of the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he knew what he so, was doing. That was an yeah. attempt on your life. <laughs> Where is that fucking guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuck
0: that guy. Probably, he probably ran over somebody He's <laughs> in prison. All right, then. So, uh, obviously, is, is NWA Wildside, like, your first sort of big uh, entry into the wrestling business? And are you ever, at any point, do you have, like, aspirations to be a wrestler? Or you're always wanting... I mean, your voice is really striking. So do, do you always sort of have aspirations to be a voice talent?
2: Well, that kind of goes back to when I first got into the business. I had a kind of a crossroad because I knew a lot of people who were, you know, mediocre to bad athletic ability <laughs> who trained to be pro wrestlers. But I had this incredible speaking ability. So I thought, well, I could be a really shitty wrestler that talks really great, or I could stand in the shorter line of one of these other positions that is used to enhance the wrestlers when I am not really an athletic specimen myself. And I could use that to help the greater product and maybe get myself over down the road in the process. Um, and lo and behold.
0: Here we go. Exactly right. It's kind of smart when you think about that way. You're like, don't really have to take the bumps. Uh, can still be around the product can still be in the rings can still get involved in matches and all those things. It's kind of a, a great way to go.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I started as the announcer. Like, I I did, when I was working, like, really bad outlaw shows, I did finagle around with managing. I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I was just kind of thrown out there. I was even, like, I got to work some pretty decent shows on outlaw shows as a manager for, like, Ron West, who used to be a referee for Bill Watts. So, like, I would have guys like Tracy Smothers and Terry Gordy and Ricky Morton on some of these fucking shows. And, you know, I had no... Just be in there, um. But it was a nice learning experience. Later, when I got to Wildside, I started there as an announcer, and I was the lead announcer with Stephen prazak from ECW. We were the the team that hosted the show for many years, basically from 2001 to the end in 2005. We were the full time hosting team, and um. I I really had, like, a whole separate career there before the managing because um, AJ Styles came up through the business there, and I actually came up with his Phenomenal One moniker. Really? On the commentary there at Wildside. Yeah, and and he's a great guy. Like, he still puts me over for that to this day. Uh, There's actually on the WWE Network, there is a – or now it's on Peacock, right? Yeah. but there's a stone cold podcast. One of the interviews that AJ does with Steve Austin, he actually takes the time to put me over by name. And I I can't thank him enough for that.
0: That's amazing. That's really cool. Well, so, okay. So how does the, how does the wild side thing come around? Rewind me to like, when you first hear about it and how you get involved.
2: Yeah. So I'm working on these shows around the Dalton, like North, Northwest Georgia area. And You know, they're not bad shows, but they're not setting the world on fire either. And, you know, we're getting the PWI magazine, and WOW magazine was a big thing at the time. The magazines in general were still a thing in the late 90s. And um, a lot of coverage on this NWA wild side down in Georgia. So I get to look, and I'm like, man, that's only like three hours from here. And then, lo and behold, one of the shows that I'm working, Adam Jacobs and Air Paris, are booked. And they're regulars down there already, and they see my stuff, and they like it. And they're like, hey, man, you got to ride with us down to Wildside. This is where everybody's going in this area. They've got TV. Like, there's some special stuff happening there. You need to be there. Yeah. So I go down there. I meet Marins, who was the promoter. Um, I give him my tape. And Bill calls me back a couple weeks later and tells me to be at one of their house shows in Athens, Georgia, to get a tryout, basically, so I go to the tryout, did well, and got offered a spot as the TV ring announcer, which over time, I just kind of kept getting promoted, started just as the ring announcer, and then I got to fill in as the TV play-by-play guy, and then I got promoted to full-time play-by-play guy, and then, you know, basically, ended up even getting to, like, be Booker and different stuff at different times there, or at least help with it, and... um. You know, really, was a great experience overall. Like we really did something special, and there was a really lot of innovative stuff that influenced the whole landscape of indie wrestling still today. Absolutely, that really started there. I mean, there was that stuff was going on like two years before Ring of Honor started. Like CZW, like they were first starting to kind of do some similar stuff there. And we actually developed, like, a partnership with them where we would send talent up there. They would send talent to us. Yeah. Um, And, you know, this was, like, one of these – this was unheard of in indie wrestling at the time.
0: You were the original Forbidden um, Door. It
2: was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It really was. That's awesome. During that time, we also were the WCW, like, official development territory. The Last year, they were in – they paid us to develop their talent so they were sending guys like the natural born thrillers you know like guys that were on TV but were green yeah at that time and needed work they would send to us and have them go do our loop and um it was a pretty awesome experience
0: that's amazing as your like role develops there um what's it like jumping into commentary because it's, a, it's something that uh has always interested me and and something that I think about but it must be like an intimidating thing right like it's like will I say the right thing do I know enough about these people there's going to be cameras running and stuff. did you find that as, as an intimidating thing to take on or was it something that you just sort of fell into and you were coming into in color and you just kind of felt uh comfortable that you could like uh just breeze through it
2: at first, it was pretty damned intimidating, you know. I I've been such a wrestling dork for so many years, of course, that I I was like a backyard wrestler when I was a teenager. We yeah. we wrestled on a trampoline and shit, and I would commentate over the matches we did then. So that's where I first started getting experience doing it. So I thought I kind of—I mean, I didn't—but when I got in the business, I thought I had an idea of what I was doing. Yeah. When I first got put out there, man, I we're, we actually do a podcast that goes back and recaps the old Wild Side TV week by week. Oh, really? With Chris Zellner on the uh, Exile on Bad Street is what the podcast is called. Awesome. And, uh, you know, we went back through those early episodes. And when I first did my very first commentary, my first night, full-time on commentary was a main event because Al Getz couldn't make it and Steven Prazak couldn't make it either. So, like, literally I got thrown out there by myself and it was Sabu versus AJ Styles. What?
0: By yourself you're doing the commentary? Yeah. Trial by fire or what?
2: <laughs> yeah. This and, is and, live know, TV. <laughs> it was fucking bad, but, like, it, it got me, you know, I got through it and it impressed them enough to not fire me at least and keep keep me on so yeah um,
0: it's one of those it, things it, that like it's wild what how else what would you do you've been thrown into it i guess i'm just gonna do it right and you just do your best and react as honestly and you know as excitedly as you can and hopefully it all works out
2: i mean that's it i was always a fan and i think that's what made me a good announcer is that you know i really genuinely loved wrestling Um, both like the technical aspect and the visceral emotional aspect of it so I felt like I could still tell that story and over the years I got much more refined at being able to tell that story but really as an announcer any non-wrestling character in wrestling you're there to promote and get over the wrestlers because that's Why we're there, people are paying to see wrestling matches. Absolutely. So I think a lot of this gets lost on guys that get hired in these spots and they try to make it about themselves. And as much fun as that is, it's not about us. And the thing about it is that they don't fucking get is if you do a good enough job getting everyone else over, you by yourself will get over by default. Yeah,
0: exactly right and not only with the audience but also with the boys as well because <laughs> you're doing a good job uh in what you've been paid it's to do. It's very important to get with the boys. Yeah. Exactly. So uh so you end up on full-time commentary um and it just becomes like a thing you're doing. So I've heard that uh you know this wild side could be kind of crazy. Um, you guys are doing long trips and stuff like that. Are there any particular stories that kind of stand out to you of uh, the more intense or crazy times doing all this stuff? Besides being oh, almost I run mean, over, it's so
2: hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that was just the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Um. There was a, a time we shot a promo for the Sinister Minister. Like, we would do these guerrilla promos. Okay. So, like, we would go out to these crazy locations at, like, four in the fucking morning, usually high as a kite. <laughs> like, uh, and... Uh, film these crazy promos to make for this crazy TV. Cause Wildside was kind of this mishmash of like ECW and smoky mountain. It had a yeah. little bit of that Southern flavor, but like we were pushing the envelope balls to the wall. Um, and a lot of former ECW guys right after they closed down, came down there because there was at least TV and they could work. And at the time we were one of the only places that had TV with any sort of penetration in the United States. Even if it was like four in the morning, uh, you know, Low low power channels. We were still out there. So one story that always comes to mind. We told this on the podcast, but I'll I'll rehash it here because it's it's always worth telling. Um, we took Jim Mitchell, the sinister minister, out to a, a graveyard in the middle of the night. You know, in ECW, his gimmick was you know at the end of his promo, something would catch on fire and he would laugh. Yeah. So we would try <laughs> to figure out different ways to do that. Yeah. So one night, I think Jeff. Bailey was the one behind it. He had this harebrained idea to, why don't we take him and sit him on top of a tombstone and then light the tombstone on fire?
0: That he's sitting on.
2: Sounds like a great idea. So, of course, we go and light the tombstone on fire, and like, luckily nobody gets hurt. The promo's on TV. It's actually amazing, and luckily no damage was done to the gravestone so we didn't get arrested or sued. I was about to say. Uh, luckily, it it like, I don't really know how we got away with it, but we did. Um, and, you know, thankfully, I so said nothing was damaged, so uh, all ended up being fine. But, you know, just some of the stupid shit you will do for your art when you believe in it.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I'm not sure you're allowed to, like, desecrate graves. <laughs> No, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. No. Luckily, there was no serious desecration, and hopefully, like in the promo, you can't like maybe see the etchings on the tombstone. Already.
2: Yo, no, I think the name was even displayed. Like, oh was, Jesus! <laughs> think like the the things you would do in like two thousand and one compared to what you would do now. Like, I wouldn't fucking dare. Even I don't know. I think, that I think it's now. pretty
0: fucking awesome. I don't intend to get buried, but if I if everybody disobeys my wishes and they don't uh, cremate me and I get put in a grave and my gravestone somewhere, I hope somebody sets it on fire and cuts a wrestling promo on top of it. I reckon that'd be pretty fucking awesome, to be honest. This is this is my uh, last will and testament. If anybody ever listens to this and that happens, nobody needs to be in trouble. I'm totally fine with it.
2: <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell
0: yeah. You get out of the way now. That way nobody gets in trouble if they do do it. So. <laughs>
2: Um, but i mean there was there's a ton of crazy stories from the wild side days there were fights and girls and like it it was still in that era of wrestling before uh, when everything was still kind of hush hush and kept behind the scenes so it was um it wild. was a fun time and you know like, it, it was wild in a lot of ways but also like a lot of the guys that came from that era didn't end up being giant Park. Like, AJ, you know, people all have always made fun of him to this day for being a video game guy yeah. and stuff. So it's like we had our fun in those days, but it's like most people from Wildside ended up turning out all right. Yeah, they, they
0: turned out fine. I know, like, uh, I spoke to Tag recently, and he was saying he wasn't really, like, a huge party guy or whatever. They used to definitely get up to mischief and ribs and things like that, but he was, like, never really, like, uh, super crazy or anything like that
2: no he's still not he's always been pretty straight laced for a badass um like, like you know you would think a guy like him would drink a lot of beers and then want to go fight people but no he does all that stone cold sober <laughs> just does that
0: for his general enjoyment tell me about tank man how did you first meet him
2: i first met him even before i started working at Wildside. um at, at an outlaw show in northern Georgia and it's funny, I had heard rumors of Tank for years before I met him. Well not years I'd went around for years, for months before I met him. Um, and that like he was gonna kick my ass when he saw me because <laughs> Gypsy Joe was my uncle. Apparently a couple of years prior to that, he and Joe had gotten in a tangle oh. and Joe had beat his ass with a baseball bat and <laughs> gave him like twelve staples in his what? head. So, Is that real? Yeah, he was not Yeah Holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and so he wasn't happy about this.
0: No, well I, well, know, I mean I imagine he wouldn't be stoked, yeah. No, I wouldn't be stoked if somebody whooped me with a baseball bat. That's terrible.
2: I mean it was in the context of a match. It's just like Joe like Tank said, you know, then he thought Joe was trying to kill him, but as he, he was very green so as he worked and got more experience he was like oh no that was just the way he worked he wanted me to give it back to him and uh you know, he just didn't quite understand that. So
0: right, okay. Well, that makes alive, a little bit more sense it was man. in the context of a match, could because you didn't say that, and so I'm picturing them in a bar somewhere, literally, like, laying down, <laughs> laying down a fight, and then Gypsy Joe just produces a Floyd-esque baseball bat from nowhere and attacks him with it. So <laughs> I'm glad there was at least context to that entire situation. <laughs> <laughs> so you meet Tank, and he's got a little bit of a heat towards uh, Gypsy Joe and his family. Uh, how does that actual meeting go? Like, does he confront you about it or he d- it just doesn't even come up or what's the go?
2: No, I, I actually bring it up after we start talking. I, he, I introduce myself and he's like a little standoffish and, and we start talking and come to find out, like we like all the same shit, like all the same movies, all the same music. Like, yeah. And of course so we hit it off. Great. And then I'm like, so by the way, uh, you know, just my uncle. And he's like, what the fuck? And, we talk about it and, you know, kind of hash it out, and, um, you know, they, they made up years later, Joe and him worked a few shows together, and, you know, it, it came up and, and was squashed, but uh, yeah, I, so it, he ends up becoming one of my best friends, basically, is, yeah. is what the irony of it, and um, so I actually was the one that got him his tryout at Wildside, and so he gets on there, and... The funny part about it is how this business goes full circle. So, Wildside comes to an end in 2005. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, we had just worked so hard for that promotion for so long. I was going to take a little break from wrestling. So, I had started a thrash metal band on the side in the last couple of years of Wildside. Like, the intro music and stuff was us. Awesome.
0: What were you doing? Were you singing like or playing? Or?
2: Uh, I started out as the bass player, and then our singer quit, and so I, I then became the singer.
0: Fair enough. I'm uh, a bass player. I've been a bass player for, like, 20 years or something like
2: that. Oh, nice. Well, I'm sure you're way better than me, because uh, I always I don't know if that's bass, true. but I was <laughs> good enough.
0: Look, I was always just serviceable for enough. what I was needed for. Uh, <laughs> I always say that I'm not a bass player. I'm a guy that plays bass. <laughs>
2: So, the band was doing pretty well. We put out a little EP and, you know, kind of traveled around the Southeast and done a little bit of moderate touring and we're having a good time with it. Um, And it kind of starts to fizzle out. So, the timing is going well. Like, the guitar player and the fucking drummer don't get along and there's a whole thing. Bad shit. Anyway, right as this thing is kind of ending, Tank calls me and he's like, hey, man, I got an idea. It's like, what if you come in? What if you were to become my heel manager? I'm like, oh that that sounds kind of fun actually. I've always kind of wanted to do that. And during Wildside, Jeff G Bailey was like one of my best friends there and kind of became a mentor to me in a lot of ways in wrestling that I just, you know, hung out with him a lot and listened to his opinions about the business and things like that. And he was like one of the best managers in the business at the time and still like the best unsigned manager ever. Yeah. And me 50 other people will agree with that. Um, But he had kind of taught me little things that I just, you know, kind of picked up during this time. And so I was like, yeah, I think I could do this. And so we start kind of coming up with ideas. um, And the Devil's Rejects is born. That is our original stable Mm -hmm. that I manage that includes Tank and his regular tag team partner, Iceberg. Iceberg. And a guy named the Angel of Death, Azrael, uh, who's not to be confused with the northeastern Azrael. This is the southern Azrael, a like crazy southern satanic ninja. The dude is awesome. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Um, and <laughs> Sean Tempers was the the final fourth member of the group in its original form, and we took off in the South as a heel act when you could, like, really be that vital yeah. Southern And so,
0: and so are they, Are they like, wearing the costumes kind of deal? Are they, like, looking
2: like the Devil's Reject movie? I mean, that's kind of where some of my influences came from. Uh-huh. The name, I mean, and we certainly paid tribute to the movie more than a few times in different spots, but, like, my, the name to me was more like The Road Warriors was kind of where I got it because the movie had just come out at yeah. the time, so uh-huh. it wasn't, like... Thing that was ingrained in pop culture. Yeah. It was just like, oh, yeah. this is a cool name. And I am talking about, well, the Road Warriors kind of used a movie that was coming out at the time. Like, yeah. I like this. We're going to do this. The Devil's yeah. Rejects. That's cool. And it really took off. And so, um, yeah, it, it ended up being, you know, like we really got to do that vile southern heel shit that really gets heat. <laughs> and the, the people would pay to see us get our asses whipped. Yeah. Um, and we got to really have a strong run as the rejects where we were like selling out the buildings there in the South really? for like two years. Oh, wow. It was, was quite a run.
0: G- give me the example of I mean, some of the, the antics. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I'm unfamiliar with it. Uh, give me the example of some of the antics of the rejects.
2: Yeah. So like one of the first things we did was recruit one of the top baby, the top baby face tag team, we had turn on his partner and join us.
0: So, so, uh, which, uh, which guy's that that does that?
2: Yeah, that was Sean Temper's. Uh, he's he was a part of a tag team called Pomp and Circumstance with Ace Rockwell. They were actually the the <laughs> okay. uh, promotion called NWA Anarchy that replaced yeah. NWA Wildside and uh-huh. George and like took over their TV and shit. Uh-huh. And they were the top babyface tag team and. Um, so we turned Sean to the dark side and seduced him with evil and he joined us because it's just more fun to yeah. do whatever the fuck you want, right? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and so he, he fucking crushed Ace's arm with a claw hammer. Oh, that's Which violent. Ace had really yeah. broken a match. Uh, Tracy Smothers in Nashville a few weeks prior, but we, like that was not in the age where the internet was everywhere and you would know this happened. So we actually could sell, oh, okay, he broke his arm.
0: Yeah, so you can write him out and he's going to be in a cast and okay. stuff for real.
2: Yeah. Exactly. And then we paid that angle off several months later in a war games match that's actually written about in what was for, briefly this year, the number one wrestling book on Amazon, Way of the Blade. Yeah. Uh, 100 of the greatest bloody in pro wrestling. Uh, this match was ended. It was this war games match that we blew the feud off with, and uh, Rockwell took that same claw hammer that he broke his arm with and stuck the claw in in Temper's mouth while he was pouring blood and makes him submit in the war games with the claw oh, hammer.
0: That's and, awesome. It all comes full circle. That's huge, and that's
2: what wrestling really is to me. Like, I love a great technical match as much as anybody. Like, I'm a fan of all kinds of wrestling. But the stuff that really strikes me in the heart is that emotional storytelling where you can tell that long-form story and do that big bloody match blow-off where the babyface finally gets their revenge. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's awesome. That's when it's done its best. Um, I was saying this to somebody else the other day, and it's just like you can have like like amazing matches and you can have all this stuff, but it never really can make up for, like, the lack of character, whereas uh, character can always make up for, like, matches. You know what I mean? Like, the, those moments are always what will be the memorable parts.
2: Yeah, for sure. And like, the matches are what people pay to see, but without that extra stuff, they're just matches. Like, everything else is what gets you hyped for the match. Exactly right.
0: It's all the bullshit (laughs) that goes around it that makes it interesting, you know, the believability and the promos and all that. That's what what I love about wrestling. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. That's what I'm still trying to do here. To this
0: day, exactly. So you're you're cranking along with the Devil's Rejects. It's hot as hell. Uh, uh, It blows off uh, at that War Games match. Now, when I was speaking to Tank, I think he said at one point he turned on the Rejects, right? Like... Or they turned on him and then Tank was the the face. Is that correct? How'd that go down?
2: Yeah. We did that at a few different territories because, like, like, we we after the rejects were a hit in anarchy, all of these different promotions in the South, we go to Nashville and do a little run. We went over to Alabama and did a little run. And we basically got to do, like, the same angle. It's like in a tour, every touring band. Territory yeah, yeah, territory.
0: yeah. That's awesome. Internet didn't exist. You could just do the same thing. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, and I mean, the internet was there, but it wasn't, like, exploded with social media like it is now. Like, you wouldn't see the results of every single show within seconds, you know? It would at least take you a few days and have to dig them up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, we we just went through, like, every combination that we could to milk it, and we probably overdid it, you know, just because it was (laughs) a good thing.
0: Hey, it's wrestling. You know. right <laughs> is, is if, if you didn't overdo it it's no away. longer wrestling then it's just like entertainment i got no time for that
2: <laughs> this is true yeah what if i had my druthers to go back like you know there's times i would have probably said okay we've done this enough we can like go somewhere else for a while yeah. but of course we did every combination you could imagine including turning on tank and him being a baby face and we blew the feud off with Tank as a baby face with this thing called a compound death mat. Okay. Which, which we were you know, from the compound was our hometown before everybody else fucking stole that shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we were the first people to the yeah. compound, by the way. Yeah, that was. We had a family? compound death mat, Yeah. And it was me and Sean Tempers in a handicap match against Tank.
0: Oh, you were wrestling so, as well. You know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. And let me tell you something. I've been beat up by the best of them, my friend. And the guy I call my best friend whooped my ass worse than anybody. <laughs> I, knew, I
0: knew you were going to say that. I was like, fucking Tank's going to whoop your ass, man. Like, No way he's not taking the opportunity to... <laughs>
2: He beat me like a dog. It was like the old Terry Funk punch in the Mick Foley book where he's like, oh, I was one He's always looked so good. I wondered what the secret was. What? Oh.
0: The he secret is. Me. That was the that's secret. the secret. You just do it for real. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and he broke a cinder block over my balls with a slight <laughs> hammer. And the- <laughs> The broken piece <laughs> flew up and hit me in the bottom of the chin oh, like a fucking uppercut. Jesus <laughs>
0: Christ. I was like, of course he's just going to fucking whoop you within an inch of your life. Oh, man, that's savage. And was de- were you bleeding? Were you, like, losing?
2: Oh, yeah. No, I was never. Like, as a manager, you know, I had to get a little more physical. I'm still not a, a specimen by any means, but I was, you know, always willing to get the juice because I feel like that's a special in that heel manager situation yeah. when they get a hold of you after months and months of fucking them over you gotta pay it off yeah so you know when the baby finally got a hold of me i was always willing to get it you know and just bleed buckets coast her. to yeah. coast Let's the I? yeah <laughs> i don't have to do this very often so you know i'm gonna go all out when i have to yeah,
0: exactly oh that's amazing was uh I mean, I mean, he kind of is now. I was going to say, was Tank a good babyface? But, uh, but I guess he w- he would be. Like he's he's not really a heel now. You know what I mean? He's just Tank. Like, uh, so uh, back in the, back in the day and stuff, I could see people get behind him. He's a big dude, you know, pretty awesome. Yeah,
2: we we were heels for a long time, but we just there was a certain point, especially Tank. Yeah, like I could probably still do the heel stick some places. But especially Tank. He can't. They love him everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's what I mean. He's just so
0: over, like, just, yeah, what are you going to do, right? Like,
2: He's just a classic ass kicker, and people love a classic ass kicker. Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vader and, you know, any, any number of great wrestling ass kickers, people are always going to get behind him.
0: Exactly. Big old boy, awesome beard. What are you going to do? It's Sick. He's so, always willing to get bloody and... Yeah, he's there for it, man. He's awesome. Let, let's talk about uh, my first experience like seeing tech. So uh, it was a name that I knew. I wasn't really uh, super familiar with him until uh, he popped up on ICW No Holds but, um, which is uh, probably like one of my favorite, if not my favorite, independent wrestling uh, organization. I love all the deathmatch stuff they do, I love the Pit Fighter stuff. Uh, a show gets cancelled and and he gets the call kind of to fill in for the old timer Jeff King. Um, were you there with him when all that went down? Because yeah, he wasn't expecting to be there and then then any roles.
2: Yeah, it, that was a wild weekend, man. Um, that weekend is really responsible for our entire career resurgence. Yeah. Uh, we'd both been out of the business for a while. I, I retired officially in 2018. I was just kind of fucking over it. Yeah. Um, I realized now that was probably a mistake, but I do need it. I did need the break. Yeah. Um, coming back, I realized wrestling's just part of my DNA and like, I just can't quit. Um, And, like, now with the world being so shitty, I I don't want to quit. Like, it brings me joy. And and I just – like, I try to really relish every second that I get to do it because I think towards the end of my last run, I was taking a lot of that for granted because I was kind of bitter and tired about shit and just had a shitty attitude about things. And, like, coming back, I just came back with a whole, like, fresh mindset of, like, I'm just going to kind of let this shit wash over me and, like, I'm going to, like, appreciate it this time. And I really have. So, anyway – we go down to Mania, uh, we're talking about doing this wild side reunion spot as part of the IWTV family reunion, so that's that's yeah. what God is talking about going down there at all. Uh-huh. I was going to do some announcing, Tank was going to wrestle, originally Corey Chavis was who he was supposed to wrestle, and scheduling got mixed up, and it was going to be Sal Renaro, and then eventually like we just couldn't make any work, so we just did not do it but around that time there was another mania weekend show that had gotten canceled because the owner was revealed as like a pedo so uh, they uh, canceled his show and there was a bunch of guys without work yeah and tony deppin ran the tony deppin's beer house show yes, right to sure. give those guys some work uh-huh. and since he knew tank was going to be down there anyway tank talked to him and said hey you know i was supposed to do this wild side thing. It kind of got canceled. Do you maybe have a spot? And he's like, Yeah, come on. He's like, Well, can I bring Dan? He's like, Sure. So we do the the Tony Deppen show, and that was the whole reason we were there. And then uh, when we go for the Deppen show, Danny Demonto sees Tank immediately and makes a beeline over for us, and it's like, Hey man, and <laughs> I've heard Jeff King in a couple of weeks. Um, I think we might need you for a replacement. Would you be up to that? And things like, yeah, sure. I had just recently become familiar with ICW myself um, from friends who had become fans of the promotion, who had, you know, told me I really needed to check out. So I actually rode down to Florida. It was like an eight-hour drive, yeah, with Jeff G. Bailey and Stephen Platinum to go watch the. Like, I think it was the March, or no, it was the February, the February ICW shows at the Pawn Shop. Oh, yeah, cool. That's awesome. I was, like, super impressed, and I was not even in the business at the time. I was like, man, this is really fucking cool, and so, you know, to get the opportunity to work for them, I, I thought it was super cool for sure when we did it, but I didn't quite realize the implication of it until afterwards when there's people all over the fucking world hitting us up, talking about watching us on ICW. So, like, we're we're so super thankful to them and Danny and the whole crew for, you know, like, we kind of thought our careers, as far as any sort of national recognition, were, were pretty much over, and uh, they really put us back out in front of the the world in a big way
0: absolutely man like the reach of IWTV can't be understated you know and so for you guys to suddenly go from you know just palling about or whatever like recently to then being on that stage like your social media and all that stuff must have just taken off and you would have been like oh wow wow, this this just happened you
2: know (laughs) and it makes you feel good and there was a lot of real. Realizations I came to that weekend. It's like working in indie wrestling. For We came up in a real shit era of indie wrestling. It was a real drought. And I don't mean the wrestling was bad. I mean the industry was yeah. not healthy. Yeah, 100%. Uh, wrestling was very good during most of that time. Uh-huh. But, the you know, the industry won promotion with calling all of the shots. There was no AEW. Yeah. There was TNA, but they were trying to make a dent, and they never really did. Competing <laughs> WWE. Um, and so, yeah like we kind of thought that it had been pounded into our heads for our whole career that if you didn't get a contract at WWE then your career really didn't matter like the indies were just some bullshit and then, like, you see IWTV, like, accumulates this library and then people refer to the history of the... it's like, it matters. And you yeah. figure out after all of these years that it actually did fucking matter. And that means a lot. And, yeah. you know, it's part of the motivation for continuing this shit.
0: Absolutely. Because it means that, like, your guy's whole legacy, which is huge and storied uh, that wasn't really talked about or, or like, you know, uh, catalogued anywhere or whatever, starts to to give you that credibility. So when you guys step in, for me, who who is not familiar with it, you guys are presented like legends. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is Tank. Do you guys not know who the fuck he is? You know what I mean? This is Dan. And I'm like, these guys seem important. They seem awesome. They seem like, like they know what they're doing. There's this awesome... Um, presentation where it's like you coming in with the face paint and the robes and tanks this imposing figure behind you and it just came across like I said important it was like wow wow who's this guy we didn't he wasn't even gonna wrestle and then now he's come in and it seemed like a big deal and then as he would go on and do more shows with them and stuff like that I feel like he's had great matches and really like showed out and Danny's been great at like picking up this sort of older talent and and shining lights on them, you know? It's been really cool.
2: Yeah, it really has. Like, he's really enjoyed getting out there, getting to work with a lot of the young talent. Um, he had a bit, like, when, when we left the business in 2017, 2018, a lot of the talent that was coming up, we kind of both thought had shitty attitudes, yeah. and um, you would kind of try to help them, and they would be kind of... Shit like and I get it, because there's a lot of vet assholes that don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They give really shitty advice to young guys. And, you know, maybe we were a couple of those guys, but I thought we were legitimately trying to help people at times and, and I just got a a vibe that was kind of uh But this go around it's a whole different like we love these guys. They are so enthusiastic and they're so Creative and passionate about what they do. They've got the merchandise game figured out way better than our generation ever did. Um I you know, we're learning as much from these guys as they could learn from us now. And I it's just a wonderful place to be. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And the merch game, shout out Deathmatch Worldwide, Corey Higdon. I've got my tank shirt coming on the way. It's in the mail. Well, I don't know if it's in the mail, but it's purchased. Uh, (laughs) I'm very excited to rep that Bloodbath Behemoth shirt, which is like the coolest shirt. Um, And, yeah, like there's an entire market for like independent wrestling now that like it's the main wrestling I watch. Like that app makes it so easy to see all these guys and they can sell merch and they can be successful. And it makes it so, hey, maybe you don't need to – go to WWE. Maybe you don't need to go to AEW. Maybe you can just be an independent wrestler and be successful and pop up multiple places and you can have like ongoing storylines that, that span different companies and stuff. Like all these guys are working together. You see ICW bleed into No Peace, bleed into GCW. You know, like there's stuff going on all the, all the time. It really is like a golden era of independent wrestling right now.
2: It is, there's guys doing stuff that you would have never thought was possible without a machine being behind you years ago. I look at a guy like Effie, you know, who's like basically created a whole uh, empire around him, you know. And like, I don't know what he's making, but you know, I know he's getting to travel the world and be a wrestler and, and, you know, is clearly making enough uh, and... Like, that's fucking awesome. Like, that is so inspiring and should be to everybody. And now you got AEW, who is, like, really taking care of talent. And it's, like, this promotion that it seems like promotion wrestling fans have been asking for for yeah. years and years and years. And like, there's so much opportunity in wrestling now. i Part of me's a little bummed about it because I'm so old now that, you know, like it's, we're really just now. Yeah, I, you're my whole not, though, Dan.
0: Like, just, like, when you Ow. think about it, I mean, I mean, a, look at Chris Jericho, who's in his 50s and still absolutely killing it. But you also have the benefit of that you're not in the ring all the time. That voice is going to stay with you, my man. You know what I mean? Like, you can. You can be in those robes, you can be in that paint, you can be behind the the desk when you filled in on commentary with struggles. It was really entertaining. My wife straight away, she had no idea who you were. She was listening, she goes, Who's that guy? Like on the commentary? Because, you know, it's not Ron Neby. And I'm like, that's Dan Wilson. And she was like, his voice is amazing, you know? So like there's there's room, you know, for everybody. Uh, and, yeah, like, guys like Effie are, like, blazing the trail for, like, a whole new way of this stuff to happen. So I feel like you guys were in the right place at the right time to just step straight through that door and be ready to go. You know what I mean? And years of experience behind you. It's awesome.
2: Yeah, no, like, and, and that is the other part of it. Like so, you know, part of me is kind of bummed. It's like, man, I'm 40 and now this stuff is just happening. But it's, like, also, like, I am still young enough to take some advantage of it and it's so refreshing to see like it fills my heart with such joy to see wrestling booming again because it's not something I, I i lived through the late 90s i saw all of that it's not something i ever thought i was going to see again in my lifetime and so like <laughs> I, just, I can't understate how cool it is exactly or like, overstate rather
0: and not just wrestling death match wrestling
2: Like, as well, like,
0: those kind of stuff, like, you obviously were were into those kind of matches and stuff, and to see them on such, like, a big scale now, and, like, everybody embracing it, like, is really cool. It doesn't feel like this dirty secret or whatever, like, people are like, I can't wait for this next show, you know, (laughs) like, it's wild.
2: Yeah, it's being accepted as a legitimate form of wrestling, and it's always kind of been the red-headed stepchild for many years. I mean, even doing that stuff in a blow-off of a six-month feud in the South, we would get grief from promoters and bookers over, you know, it offending fans and stuff. Um, but, you know, we, we've always been a big proponent of blood and gore and and violence. When necessary, and in that form, you know, it's you only do it every now and again. Of course, the deathmatch world is like it's it an every show thing, but that's what the market is, is there for. That's what they want, um, and, you know, I go back to being a teenager, like 16, 17 years old. Like, that was 1996 and 1997. And ECW was happening. And, man, you know, there was nothing that appealed to my teenage male sensibilities like ECW. (laughs) So I I never got to work for them, but getting to be in the death match world in 2021 to me is like a modern version of that, and it's so fucking awesome. That's killer, man.
0: Have you got uh, any plans booked like you are we going to see you and tank popping up uh in some places real soon
2: oh yeah i mean the, the biggest uh so one match still to be announced but our next big appearance is going to be at the death match circus in oh, that's Vinton, what i was Michigan. hoping of you
0: were gonna say announced. don't worry i'm not releasing this just yet so it'll already be
2: <laughs> be announced by the time it
0: it happens dude but i was hoping it, you guys would be an amazing fit for that show
2: Oh yeah, we're gonna have a lot of fun there. Uh, Tank is fighting Hoodfoot, debuting oh, in the pit. And that is, I you, I'll tell you this one: it's gonna be Tank versus Justin Kyle in the chain.
0: Oh fuck, that's gonna be awesome. <laughs> oh man, at Deathmatch Circus, at Deathmatch Circus Night One. Oh dude, that's like gonna be super fight fucking two. Like, you know, Bruce Santee and Justin Kyle was so good, and I can see this being, like, the next, the next you know, great series of matches.
2: Yeah, they're going to tear it down. It's going to be, like, like four jackhammers with cinder blocks attached to the end of them. Just...
0: Oh, <laughs> let's fucking go. That's so <laughs> killer. Uh, that is so exciting. I'm just taking a second to reel from it because I'm fucking so pumped. That's really cool. <laughs> I'm, oh yeah, I'm such a fanboy for ICW, man. Like it's just my my shit right now. You know, like um, the like uh, no holds barred two. You know, like in the car park, like uh, Akira comes off the roof and all that stuff, and the flames and shit in Atlantic City was just such a badass show, and like it it was like the only thing I've been watching like, as far as wrestling goes for ages in that period,
2: you know? No, I, I'm right there with you. I, I think I'm a biggest fan, big of a fan of a product, you know, as, as getting to work for them. Like I, I just like watching the show. It's, you know, that's one thing that I'm excited about for night two in Michigan is that like, we get to work. We'll have all of our stuff out of the way before night two of ICW. So we'll just get to kick back, hang out with our friends there on the show and watch it and just be supportive members of the team. It'd that's great.
0: That's awesome, man. And what a great position for you as well, like where, you know, Struggles and Ron and Danny and stuff know that, like, if one of them goes down, it'll never be Struggles because Struggles you're never coming out of that booth. But, like, if Ron has something on or whatever, they can call on somebody like you and get you to jump in, which is
2: pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It was a real treat getting to to call the match. Just with struggles, and, you know, I'm I'm not trying to pursue an announcing career at this point. Um, however, I'm glad to fill in, especially at ICW, which is because I love them, believe in the product, uh, you know, do whatever I can to help them and sell, to put them over. Uh, there's actually another ICW announcement coming for November uh, that I can't really talk about yet, but uh, just keep your eyes peeled for that, possibly another show. That hasn't been announced. Um, but then also, we are going to make our return after many years to IWA Mid-South in November for the big Double Death Tournament. Yes,
0: there we go. So, tournament for Tank.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure what. I know, like, they both picked teams. Yeah. It's like, King yeah. of the Deathman versus Prince of... Like, what is, is the deal with that? Um, It's the, the first show in November, and it's like a big two-night event. Okay. Um, we haven't got a, a lot of details on what we're doing but I think double death is what it's called and um, it's it's supposed to be like the king of the death match versus the the pro wrestling train ma- train wreck tournament what was that the prince of, I, I'm bad with names yeah yeah
0: so so it's like all the contestants the from one player. tournament versus the contestants from another tournament in like a team versus team scenario.
2: Exactly, yes. That's sick. And so Tank Yeah, Tank was announced for Team I W, Team King of the Death match, Team IWA. Yeah,
0: okay. Oh, so so it's not even like just the contestants from this King of the Death matches, it's like a greatest hits of all the people who have been in yes. it over the years. That's fucking awesome. Correct. Now, what a fun idea that is.
2: Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. I I haven't been uh, We were just in Indianapolis for ICW not that long ago. But I haven't worked for Ian since like 2006 or seven. Yeah wow well. um, so it's tank has worked for him since then but that was the last time I went up there with him yeah Oh hopefully uh, that goes okay <laughs> I yeah, hear, I hear he
0: could be a volatile individual
1: <laughs> Yeah
2: well you know tank carries a, a level of respect with him now. well you know, he generally gets the respect back that he gives. So it's usually fine.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And he's a very, like, respectful person. Like, I can't say enough about uh, how much I liked him when I met him. Just, like, such, like, this, uh, you know, wise, gentle soul who I would never want to be on the wrong side of. <laughs> yeah,
2: he is a big old teddy bear until you piss him off. And then it's it could be bad. But luckily it takes quite a bit. Especially nowadays, he's a lot more patient in his old age than he was when he was a young man. I watched him beat the brakes off of many a motherfucker <laughs> that nowadays take it easy on. That's amazing. That's amazing,
0: man. All right, so t- tell me this, buddy. I normally do like a uh, little bit of a game at the end of my shows, and I I ask people what they're feeling in wrestling uh, this week. Yeah, so if you had something to recommend, Peter greatest match from you guys, something you watched recently, a talent you want to put over, what would you say, my man?
2: Oh, man, that's a loaded question. Shit. I know Um, it is. As far as our stuff, (laughs) as far as our stuff, I'd say, you know, go watch the ICW stuff. I think that's where Tank has put on his best stuff. I think um, the matches with Satou, in Indiana, where maybe some of his best ones, that's where he got a big like, singles win. That was sick. But, like, there's so
0: many, right? Like, Neil Diamond Cutter, John Wayne Murdoch, Castover Valentine. There's some great matches. He, he's he been hitting hitting them out of the park.
2: Yeah, we've been proud of every single thing he's done in ICW. I think, the, to me, the Murdoch one was the most special for a lot of reasons. And I, yeah. I mentioned this on another podcast. But, you know, we're there yeah. in the showboat. Like, we're in the Bourbon Room, which used to be the House of Blues, which is a legendary concert venue. So, Lemmy, fucking Lemmy, Ronnie James Dio, Tony Iommi, Rob Zombie, all these people had stood on the stage where we made our entrance. So, there was this vibe, this certain magic of space and time there. Yeah. Made it special. And, uh, like, then it was the main event of that show. And, you know, Murdoch just had been awarded the the Deathmatch the championship from Danny a couple of shows prior. So like, you know, this was just like, Oh, and then I cut the big promo for the match and they aired it on the broadcast right before the match. And um, like, to me, that's been about the most perfect moment. Yeah. I mean, I it
0: set the admit, vibe main <laughs> event, the arguably one of, if not the the best death match wrestlers in the world, and here comes Tank, and it's just it was an absolute banger.
2: Yeah, we, we had a lot of fun, and that was just so special. So I would say that is probably my highlight of the return run and what I would recommend. Um, I mean, I watch so much wrestling, like, in the background. It's <laughs> so, like sometimes <laughs> I'll just watch these random-ass fucking matches. Like, I watched this match from, like, 1991 just randomly that popped up on YouTube. It was Barry Windham. And Mr. Hughes. And, like, I don't want to disparage the in-ring ability of one Curtis Cat Hughes. But Barry Windham carried that motherfucker to a five-star match on TV. And I don't know how he did it. I think
0: Barry Windham carried a lot of people to five-star matches. He was a fucking freak, man. What an amazing pro wrestler.
2: Yeah, one of the best. I, I've been going back and watching a lot of old Memphis stuff lately, but like I said, it's always in the rotation. So, um, you know, I, I would recommend just some good 80s, like, heat-based bloody brawl wrestling. That always is, is something that tickles my fancy. But, but yeah, I, I'll put over the Murdoch match specifically. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. You got me thinking about a thing, and it's probably not uh, relevant to this podcast, but it got me thinking about a thing because, obviously, Barry Windham was an absolutely amazing wrestler. His, uh, you know, descendant, I guess you'd say, Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, or whatever, was released recently from WWE. So there's a chance, I guess, once, you know, things start to cool down, non-compete start, that he may begin competing on the indies. So, like... Do you have any thoughts on if a Bray Wyndham started to like appear on the Independence? Like, do you think that like that guy could have the ability of uh of a Barry Windham if it, like the chains
2: were off, so to speak? It's possible. I don't we I don't know that we've seen him with the chains off entire. That's early, what I mean. He's been I part
0: of that system, opened, right? Yeah. It only just got me thinking about it. I was like I wonder what he'd be like in a you know an independent kind of scenario where he's just allowed to go. I'm
2: interested to see because I think he's either going to sink or swim, and we're going to find out if it was all the creative and he was just kind of the vessel, or if it, like all of that was really him. You know, a lot of people yeah. say a lot of that was his ideas, at least the stuff they got over. So, um, you know, I I definitely don't have any animosity towards him. I think he. Ran with that gimmick very well, and I think you know he can do a lot, a lot of great things with it. Um, (laughs) there is kind of a a bit of a personal thing involved there that I'll tell you. You can keep this. I see Terry Taylor has been in the news lately for some people talking little shit. Oh, really? About Terry Taylor? I just wanted to heap on the pile. Oh yeah. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) So. I, have, I don't know if this is true. So, like, this could be total wrestling bullshit. But people that worked there, at least at the time, told me this. So, take it for what you will. But in between jobs, right before Terry Taylor got hired at NXT, actually it was Florida Championship Wrestling then, uh, prior to that, he was an agent at NWA Anarchy. And that just so happened to be when we were on top. Yeah, for several months doing that, and then he goes to NXT, and is like, "Hey, I got this great idea, guys. How about you be a creepy backwoods country cult?"
0: I see where you're going with. Um, it. <laughs> I see where you're going
2: with you go. see where I'm going with the this. entire Wyatt
0: family scenario. Um,
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, a, a little close. Um, I don't, but I don't hold it against those guys if that is true. You know, like. I mean they they did what anybody would do with an opportunity and tried to seize it. And I don't blame. It was actually a fucking huge mark for Luke Harper. Um, Yeah, you know Brody Lee was fucking amazing. I mean, all those guys were good, but like he was like a next level talent in my opinion. Um, so you know I don't I don't hold it against him. Plus, plus what
0: what would they know uh, or whatever? WWE creative comes to them and is like, "This is what we're doing." They're like, "Okay, like
2: (laughs) yeah, sure." Like you'd be a fucking idiot to say no
0: that is that's uh that's pretty coincidental i think so (laughs) but yeah i didn't even think about that when i brought up his name it was more like the barry windham connection that i was like oh i wonder if he could like you know like barry windham was so amazing and i'm like i wonder what he would be like you know without all that machine stuff and just like just an indie wrestler you know yeah (laughs) Well, we, we might get to find out pretty soon. Well, um, we might. The like guy knows how to talk. so Yeah, exactly. The guy knows how to talk. So, you know. Oh, well, if he's looking to make a name for himself, he might have to come through Tank first. So we'll see how that goes.
2: Hey. He might or he could join forces with us. Like we could just put like that. That would be fine. Oh, too. okay.
0: You yeah, know, that would can... work. That worked just fine. Let's do that.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's do that. That is awesome, man no worries well where do people find you man they, i know you've got the on the horror podcast you're all over social media what do people need to do to track down
2: the Reverend? i am most active on the twitter machine at rev dan wilson um i'm on facebook uh, rev dan the dragon wilson is my page you can probably also find my personal page i don't hardly ever post anything on facebook because i think it's a cesspool, and it's just like people <laughs> always wanting to argue. Some would say Twitter is that too, but like I don't know. I just feel like it's it seems less combative to me personally, yeah, but yeah. Um, that, that's your, where I'm at. Um, you can also find the production company that I run, which hosts my podcast, Seeking Human Victims. It's a podcast where we talk about horror movies uh, and uh, behind the behind-the-scenes process of them. Uh, that is called uh, our at. OG Scare is the Twitter handle. One Good Scare Productions is the name of the production company. We've made a couple short films as well, but like the main flagship is the podcast, and we drop a new episode every Monday. Uh, currently, through the end of the year, we're doing a season on werewolf movies called Wolfomania. So all of your favourite werewolf movies will indeed be covered by the Rev.
0: That is amazing. I'm going to be hitting subscribe on that. I love I love horror movies, so that's going to be an absolutely awesome time, dude. Matt, I want to thank you so much for your time. Such a fun conversation, such a huge amount of stuff to go back through. Uh, and we'll have to do this again sometime and get your uh, takes on some other stuff, eh?
2: It would be my pleasure, man. I had an absolute blast. Thank you so much for, uh, for inviting me on and anytime you want. Dude, absolutely. That
0: will be killer. So everybody out there for the Reverend Dan Wilson and for Faces and Feels, remember it's all about peace, love, and pro wrestling. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Faces and Feels is a DIY project created and edited in-house by me, Rafe Houston. You can show your support by following us on Instagram at FacesFeelsCast, Twitter at FacesFeelsCast, and Facebook at FacesFeelsCast. Or send us an email with topic suggestions or feedback to facesandfeels at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Our banger theme is Loose Lips Sink Ships by the Thunder Vipers. Check it out on Spotify. And now hang around for a quick word from some friends of the show. Peace out. My body
2: is a roadmap of pain.
1: Oh, I- Deathmatchworldwide.com. The official online merchandise store that is only for Deathmatch Wrestling. Featuring official t-shirts from No Peace Underground. John Wayne Murdoch. Akira. Madman Pondo. Zona 23. Neil Diamond Cutter. G. Raver, Schlack. Necro Butcher. And many more. If you are a deathmatch wrestler, promotion, manager, or platform and are interested in joining the web store, send us an email to deathmatchworldwide at yahoo.com. deathmatchworldwide.com for the violent (laughs) view.